0: good works. So right off the bat, you got to know your salvation meant more than fire insurance, right? The fact that I got saved by Jesus Christ through faith, not of works, lest I should boast, immediately tells me that it was for more than just the fact that when I die, I'm not going to go to hell. I'm going to go to heaven instead. But there's a whole lot more. Right immediately on the heels of that famous verse or verses comes this, where his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Titus tells us that we were born again or saved, that we should be a people zealous for good works. The word workmanship there means masterpiece. It's a word that was used in the artists. It, it, was a, it was a part of the vocabulary of the painter or the sculptor. And when he says that you're a workmanship, it means you are my masterpiece. And so God begins to paint a picture. Not only did I save you, but verse 10 says you are my my prized art possession, that which I have created into a masterpiece. And why have, I, why have I done you so delicately? Why have I done you with such pain-taking time? Why have I created every element of you just the way I have created you? So you could be involved in good works. Well, what about those good works? They're, these are the very works which God prepared beforehand. Well, beforehand, before the foundation of the world that I should walk in them. Where are we going in 1986? I think it all starts with the understanding that when I got saved, it meant more than me not going to hell. It meant that God, in that recreative process of being born again, made me a masterpiece. A fine, delicate piece of art in which He left no detail out, in which nothing has gone undone, and He looks at me and He says, remarkably enough... You're a masterpiece. And then as I understand that, to tie in that why did He do all that to me, it's right there, so that I could be involved in the good works. Good works that He prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. I don't know, do you sense that in your life? I know a lot of you don't. A lot of you do not sense that. A lot of you do not experience the incredible joy and wonder of that whole reality. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying for one reason or another, the good works. Now, I'm not talking about um, not going to naughty movies. That's not a good work. I mean, it's good, but it's not a good work in the sense here. When When the Bible talks about the fact that you and I are redeemed for good works, it means that at the point of our salvation, God is dreaming of great things to use our lives to do. Phenomenal things, mind-blowing things. Each and every one of us has potential to be used in an incredible way in the kingdom of God. So my question comes again. Do you sense that? Are you experiencing that? Or are you just kind of muddling through life, taking you know hardly one day at a time? Going, man, why am I on planet Earth? I want you to sense that. I didn't know it long ago, and then God got a hold of my life, and every day is so exciting, I can't stand it, because for some reason, in some way, I've gotten a grip on that, in in, in just a small way, and I know that next year will be better than last, so let me just use that as a springboard to talk about where, where are we going at the Master's College, where are you going, and the reason I start to answer the question where are we going at the Master's College by talking to you personally is because the group here will never go any further than the individuals involved. And until we as individual people in our community at this college take personal responsibility for the outcome of this college, we'll never go where we ought to go. And so I start by directing the question to you, where are you going in 1986? Do you have goals for yourself? Do you have purposes in mind? The admissions office tells me this. Last year, at this time, or a general, on a general pattern last year, we were receiving to this college 20 to 30 inquiries a week. An inquiry is or somebody hears about the college is interested and would like some more information, an application maybe, a brochure, that kind of stuff. How much does it cost to go here? An inquiry. We were getting uh, 20 to 30 of those a week. This year, we're running 100 to 120 a week. We put an ad in Campus Life and in 7 day period 500 inquiries came to the college. The next week 1100 inquiries came in 7 day period. Where are we going? Applications this this time last year this time last year we had accepted, we had received 32 official applications to the college where you fill all that stuff out and actually send it in. Application. Today we've received 130. Last year at this time, 32. This year, 130. We have students of course in our student body from over 30 states and five different countries. The amazing thing is that we're all a part of something that's going someplace called the college and my fear is this my fear is that you won't take personal responsibility for it that you'll just sit here and let it happen and think oh it's something other than me and in a sense it is something other than you it is God and it is what God is designing to do but in another very real sense the college is only going to be what you as an individual make the college Tremendous and exciting potentials. We're hoping to have 750 students in the fall. That's what the um, board of directors has has settled on as a target. 750 as they would pray. May I invite you to pray to that number? I mean, I'm not big on numbers and that kind of praying. But would you be praying that as these 130 inquiries a week fly through our, our office, Don's office, Would you be praying that God would select the exact 750 to come to our college that He wants or thereabouts? I'm not asking you to pray, will we get big? I'm asking you to pray, God, will you send the right big? The right students. We're not interested in 750 bodies. We're interested in 750 of the right bodies. And so I would invite you to pray for that. Every day. Give yourself to praying that, God, bring the right people to this college so that this college will be distinctive and used by you. Send all the wrong students to Biola. (laughs) I have another prayer request. The Dixons gave us, uh, what, $1.27 million, right, last semester. I've never heard of anybody giving a gift that large before in my life. Now, they give gave most of that, the million, towards dorms. We That kind of pays for one of them. We have to have two. We need two dorms. We need another $1.4 million for the second dorm. Would you Would you pray for that consistently? Don't demand it of God, but consistently let Him know that we need it. And that if it's in His plan and in His will, please work in the hearts of those who have it that they give it with, that, with those two dorms then we could conceivably house the 750 students that it appears we need to house and the reason the board of directors came up with that number wasn't because they thought oh that would be a nice number it's, it's, it's kind of based on all the inquiries and all the applications that we're getting we could probably have a larger student body but they had to cut it back to where we thought we could have the money to house the people so be in prayer for that Be in prayer for that money. And also be in prayer for the permits. For the permits that it takes. You want to be a part of a miracle in 1986? Pray for the permits. The historical uh, pattern I am told at the college for a building from beginning to end, it takes historically two years since we say go to when we finally walk in the door and say, Hey, nice building. Typically it takes two years. Well, we've got a few months between now and August. You want to be involved in a miracle? Pray for the permits. Pray for the contractors. Pray for the money. Pray that God will build the cotton-picking dorms. Take personal responsibility for that. Do you understand what I mean by that? Don't let the responsibility that the dorm gets built rest on Bob Provo's shoulders. Don't let it rest on my shoulders. Don't let it rest on MacArthur's shoulder. You need to feel a personal burden those dorms getting done. And the way to express that is through your constant diligent prayer before the throne of God. I mean, if you want it. If you don't want it, don't pray. I, I would think we'd want it. Sky's the limit. Where are we going? We took a look around the country and we thought, you know, if we could get a guy to head up a master's program here at the master's college, who would it be? And so we began to look. And, you know, Dr. MacArthur, Mr. Provost, and Dr. Stead, and all these guys. We began to look all around. And we find this guy who we say, if we could have anybody in the country, this is the one. Three weeks ago, he signed a contract, and he's coming to this college. His name is Charles Smith, Dr. Charles Smith. You heard him in chapel last semester. He's back at Grace Theological Seminary on Winona Lake, Indiana. Now, you may not have been thrilled with his message, but the guy was everything we wanted. Tremendous, two things, two basic things about him. Tremendously faithful to the Word of God. Great man of Scripture. And second, he's an incredible administrator. Now, if you want the guy to head up a new master's program, you better be both of those, right? He's coming. He'll be here next fall, this fall, a few months from now. That's exciting. What's he going to do? He's going to start an MA program. And eventually it'll have four different tracks. We don't know of anything like it. On the earth today. One of them, one track will be an expository preaching, Masters. Where we can take guys who want to preach the Word, who maybe have had seminary experience, maybe they haven't. But a lot of times, when you go through seminary, they teach you everything but how to communicate the Word of God. A lot of guys out there fill in pulpits who do not know how to communicate the Word of God. So we're going to start a program to teach men how to communicate the Word of God. Expository preaching. Another track that should start in the fall of 87, which is two years from now, both of these should start then, will be a discipleship. A master's in discipleship. Huh? Pretty exciting thought. We'll train men in the fine art of discipleship so that they can go back to their church and hold a position in their church to infiltrate the concept of discipleship in their church. Churches are crying out for this stuff. And then with, in the future, beyond the fall of 87, would possibly come two, two other ones. One in biblical counseling and another one in evangelism. Hey, these are exciting things. That means with time, we're going to have a bunch of master's students. Master's as in degree student. Here, refining their tools for expository preaching and for discipling people. Tremendous. What about where you live? What about where you live? Up in the dorms, around here. We heard just a lot of concern about the inability to get any sleep in the dorms. And so we thought, well, how about quiet hours from 10 p.m. to 7 a.m.? Now, we're giving that a shot. We'll see how it goes. But the concern at that point was, well, could you give us another place to study? And so effective next week, the dining center in the student center, dining center, upstairs, will be open from 7 to 11 p.m. for the purpose of study. So you guys can float up there. It's not the tight, restricted study that's required of a library for a library to be a library, you know, where you got to keep it shh. This will be up there and, and it will be monitored in a sense so it doesn't get totally out of control for those of you who really want to study. But it will be kind of a group study place where you can talk and study and do group projects and sit around a table and cheat off each other's... No, I didn't say that. you know. But where you can get up there and kind of have a little more relaxed place to study. But And then that's going to open the lounge up, Hotchkiss Lounge, for a whole other thing. Um, I was at the ASB meeting last yesterday and it's in their heart um, to get a stereo system for the lounge. And, and put some speakers up there and a tape deck. And before you panic, saying, oh my gosh, what am I going to be listening to? All you got to do, and they'll explain this to you later, but all you got to do is just submit a tape, whatever you want, whatever kind of music you want, and they'll filter it through the ASB and then maybe through the dorm staff and, and whatever kind of makes it through that And just an effort not to offend people. Um, and then there'll be a, a, a tape deck up there with all those tapes and that stuff can just run. And as we hit the spring months and it's 2 or 3 in the afternoon, you don't want to study, Kind of relax, you throw the music on and just have a great time. Try to create some of that atmosphere. So we've got some changes coming in that area. Where are we going? Where are we going this summer? You remember Tom Maharas? He came to speak to us about New York City. Well, I had the privilege of going back to New York over the break in an effort to solidify some of the details that he was talking to us about. I know many of you are interested in going back to New York. We'll be going back, and this would be something you want to write down if you're interested in going to New York. The uh, last two weeks of June and the first two weeks of July. I'll be back there for a month. New York City. Uh, I had the most incredible experiences when I was there. I showed up there and they introduced me to this guy named Pastor Willie Bovee. I knew I was in trouble from the start, right? So it's like freezing, you know, and it's the sun's out, and there's no clouds, but you got all these jackets on, and you're trying to stay warm, and they say, hey, let's go downtown. And I said, okay, fine. So Tim Rafalovich went with me, and we had a great time. So we get there, we're standing on the subway dock, and i got my camera here, you know, so I can take some pictures. I look like a typical tourist. And uh, the subway pulls up, and the door's open, and Tim and Pastor Boby step in, and I think, hey, now this would be a nice picture. So I kind of step back, and I'm focusing, and all of a sudden the door's shut. I'm going, hey, let me in. Hold it. Because this is like a hard part of town, right? And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. And you know what? I got news. Those subway doors, they don't open once they close. And so I got my expensive Nikon camera, and I kind of tuck it in. And I back up against the wall, kind of put my foot up and look cool. Like I've been here a long time, right? Don't mess with this dude. So we finally hook up again somewhere in New York City. A miracle. And uh, (laughs) we get on the tram and we're heading down to the bottom part of of, uh, Manhattan Island. And Willie looks at Tim and I and Tim and I are kind of, you know, there's graffiti everywhere and there are people in this tram that I think would kill me at the drop of a hat, right? I mean, they look that way. And then Willie looks at us and he says, you want to hand out some tracks? (laughs) Now, you know, being a pastor from Grace Church, sure. Sure. Love to. So we start handing him. He gives us this big stack. And it's hard just to stand up in a subway when it's moving. But Willie's got it down to a science. So he's just kind of walking around. And I'm kind of hanging onto this pole trying to find out somebody I could give it to without letting go. And and before you know it, the whole car has tracks. Gospel of Jesus Christ. One little page thing like this. You know the amazing thing is 8 out of 10 of these people took the track. I mean, when you talk about handing out tracts in California, you may as well just throw them on the ground, you know, because that's where they end up anyway, right? Eight out of ten of these people took the tracts, and six out of the eight were sitting right there reading them. And so while the first second when he said, let's hand out tracts, nobody is there, is reading the gospel of Christ. They're all just kind of sitting there like bumps on a log. And in a matter of minutes, literally just minutes, over half the car is reading the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we all kind of come back to the middle, and we're standing there, and this lady comes up to him. And she says, did you hand out this? And, and he says, yeah. And she, says, uh, she says, oh, could I give you my phone number? New York City? Subway? Give you my phone? That's like saying, would you come rape me tonight? You know, Would you come murder me tonight? He says, yeah. And, she says, and could I give you my address too? I, my kids, you know, they really, really need to hear the gospel. Could you come and share it? So he begins to talk to her. And then they get to the stop and the door opens and he goes she goes out the door, and by the time the door shuts, there's this little um, Spanish guy, about sixteen years old. And he's dressed, to, I mean he, you'd think he'd shoot you, right, for your shoes. And he gets right up and comes over to Pastor Willie Bobe. And in the track it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man come unto the Father but by me. That's the verse, the one verse that's quoted in this track. And he comes up to Willie, and these were his exact words. Can you tell me how to get to God through Jesus Christ? I mean, the guy may as well put a shingle up and open an office, right? I mean, he's in the subway car, and all these people are just coming to him as fast as he can get rid of them. So we get off the subway car, and we go down, and we do all this stuff, and we end up, it's time for lunch. And we're outside of Macy's. You know, that's the largest department store in the world. And we go into Wendy's, because I sounded familiar, so I went there. And uh, we get in there, and there's just people everywhere. Except for this one table, there's only one lady sitting there. And in California, I'd never do this, but I was in New York, so I felt kind of pushy. So I went over to her and I said, do you mind if my friends and I sit with you? She says, no, that's fine. So we sat down. You know, Willie's kind of this big guy, and he's got this fro. And he's not the most handsome person in the world. He's kind of scary, as a matter of fact, just to look at. And he sits down next to her and he says, he's just, but he's got a heart for people. You'd never, you'd never see anything like it. And he says to her, he says, "Uh, what, um... Tell me, what do you do? And she's, oh, I work for Macy's, and we find out, oh, she's on the 17th floor and all this stuff. And then she makes the mistake of asking him what he does. And he says, oh, I, um, I used to be a drug pusher here in the town. She you did. She says, I did. She says, as a matter of fact, I was a drug addict, and um, I had about four guys pushing drugs for me, and we were a pretty hard crew. You know, if they didn't pay up, we'd just kill them. But And you see, these people down there are just scared stiff of all this stuff, because it goes on so much. And he says, but you know, then I met Jesus Christ. And and Jesus Christ has absolutely changed my life now. I'm a pastor in the church and I share the gospel with people. Aren't you glad? (laughs) That's what he said. She goes, yeah, I am so glad. I had never seen such positive responses to the gospel in all my life. So he went on for 20 minutes to share the faith with this lady who was from a Catholic background, who was trusting in her own good works to get her into heaven. And she really believed, now catch it, she really, honestly, sincerely believed that her good works were going to get her into heaven. And what was waiting for her? To stand before the Lord and say, depart from me, I never knew you. And he shares the gospel with this lady. Amazing thing. Well, then I had a chance to go out with Tom. Tom. Tom Maharas. And you know him already. He's a fireball, right? So he takes me down to Luna's, down in Little Italy, and makes me eat squid and mussel, And I've never done that stuff in my life. But I'm again, I'm cool, see, because I'm, I'm a pastor of Grace Church. Whatever you can do, I can do. So I'm eating this stuff about ready to throw up. But... <laughs> We get there to the restaurant and we just get to the outside of the restaurant And and there's another restaurant next door and, And the door just gets slammed open And this bouncer has got this guy in his hands And he literally just hurls him into this parked car They go boom into the car Guy kind of looks up And he starts to get up, and like Tom just like pushes us in our restaurant quick. You know, he says, Don't, I'm I'm like watching, going, Yeah, hey, I'm ready for this. You know, like, wow, what happens next? And so, so Tom's pushing me into the restaurant. He says, Get out of it, you got to get out the street now. He says, Sometimes the the heat starts to fly, and you don't want to be catching the stray bullet. So now I'm really pushing to get in the restaurant, right? And we get in there, and these people are everywhere. And Tom has had this ministry with this waiter inside Luna's. For four years, the man is not a Christian. He's a waiter, and and the guy's been sharing with him. And Tom, we see we got our guitars because we're going to do some street singing and preaching a little bit later tonight. It's only nine o'clock. See, the night is young, so we're going to grab some dinner and then later we'll go out and do this stuff. So he, this waiter sees the guitar and he says, Oh, he says, the whole restaurant. He says, Oh, he said, let me play the guitar. And so the guy comes over and gets Tom's guitar out, and he starts playing. He's really good jazz stuff, right? And and all of a sudden, the boss yells at the waiter because the waiter isn't tending to his tables. And Tom figures, well, as long as the guitar is out, right? So Tom just straps it over himself. And he's kind of talking to these people he's never seen before in his life. We're all standing in line waiting for a table. And he's talking to them about the Lord. He's talking about this stuff, and he just starts singing this song. And it's a song all about being lost and having no direction and and, and being empty inside and not knowing where you're going. And and that's just how the people are, right? Apart from Christ. And then the song just transitions right into the Good Shepherd. He met the Good Shepherd and and now he's got purpose and life and direction. And he finishes the song up and the whole place applauds. Just goes up and applauds. The whole restaurant. So he puts the thing away, and then the guys he was talking to, this one guy, he wanted to sit with Tom already. The guy sees something, and he says, man, I want that. And so it, they, they, we got a table for seven, right? And there were five in our group, or eight. There were five in our group, and there were three in his group. And he and the guy says, can we sit with you? The guy says this to the Maharaj, Just met him five. Can we sit with you? He says, sure, you can sit with us. But his girlfriend, see, this is a problem with girlfriends. The girlfriend, he, uh, she didn't want anything to do with Jesus. So... They didn't get to sit with us. Kind of discouraging. So anyway, we're on our way home. Uh, another, later the next day, we get off the subway and we're walking down a part of town that I would not walk down by myself. Uh, literally, it was very frightening. And we're walking down here and all of a sudden Tom bumps me He says, we gotta, we got to help these guys. I'm going, which guys? And there's some guys standing with their back to the street, facing the building, and they're kind of in big Park, as you know, and they're just like 16, 17, 18 years old. He says, these guys are drug pushers. I said, how do you know? He says, well, they are. Because I guess he knows these things, see? So we walk over to the guy, and he hands him this track. On this track. And on the front of this track, there's this picture of this guy just laying on the ground. It's just kind of his head, but you can tell he's kind of down. He's got this big fro and this Fu Manchu, and his eyes are kind of open, but they're not. You know what I mean? How that that half-mask thing. And he says, hey, you recognize this guy? Mm -hmm. He says, it's me. the guy looks at Tom, and he looks at the picture, and he can't add it up. He says, the picture is a picture of me when I was 18 years old. I'd overdosed on drugs. I was about ready to die. My girlfriend, she was on drugs too, and she saw it. She thought it was funny, so she took a picture. Now, the guy's pushing drugs, right? What does he want to hear about this? So he says, If I give you this, would you read it? He says, I wrote this. And the guy says, Sure. He takes a trap, and we're gone. We move down a few little bit more down this block, and there's these two kids, a guy and a gal, see? And they're young, and they don't know what they're doing, and so they're just like making out bad on the corner. You've seen that, right? You don't know where the guy starts and the girl stops, So right? It's just... And they're all into it, man. They may as well be in some dark cor- corner somewhere. They got no concept that they're in a public place. They're just making out. So Tom Harris is kind of walking out. She so uh, goes over to him, taps on his shoulder says, Excuse me. He said, do you recognize this guy? And he said, no. And he says, it's me. He says, I almost overdosed on drugs. this they killed myself. I said, he said, I wrote this. If I were to give this to you, would you read it? And the guy kind of is still dazed, right? And he goes, yeah, sure. And, you know, they're all like wrapped up, right? And so Tom's trying to find where to. <laughs> the guy's kind of going like this, you know. Yeah, sure, man, right here. And by this time, the girl's waking up, and she's she's kind of like, "What is? what happened to my kisser, you know? And so she kind of looks at him and says, here, i got one for you, too. And she goes, oh, great, you know, kind of takes the thing. And then he says this. He says, you got to read these, because, you know, sometimes we just don't know what we're doing. And he's gone. Hey, pretty appropriate word for the moment. Those kids have no clue of what they're doing. So he shares with them like that. This is the kind of experience you can have this summer in New York City. You're invited to go. Whether you go to Grace Community Church or not, you're invited to go. You're invited to go for a month and be there. The first week we're going to set up, you're going to learn the subway system very, very well. Because there's going to be a thousand high school kids going to show up the next week. And somebody's got to get them where they're going. And you're the ones who are going to get them where they're going. So the first week you're going to learn the subway systems. You're going to learn all the major tourist sites they're going to go to. You're going to learn all the emergency procedures when you lose a 14-year-old girl in New York City. And all that stuff. The second week, you'll lead all these high school groups around in groups of 125 groups. So it'll be five college students for every 125 high school students, and you'll lead them around. The third week, well, during that second week, we'll meet every single morning, all 1,000 of us, in a general assembly. That's going to be a great time. And, and Maharas will be preaching, and Dr. MacArthur will be back there, and he'll be preaching, and some other great guys will be there preaching. And um, we'll have that general assembly. Then we'll go and we'll hit the tourist site. And the, the group will be broken up in 125 each. And so each day, 125 students. One will go to the Statue of Liberty. One will go to uh, World Trade Center. One will go New York Stock Exchange. One will go all these different cool places. And there'll be a sightseeing thing where you'll actually get the sightseeing. But you already know the second you step on the subway, evangelism starts. You start handing these tracks out and talking to all these people. And then you'll get to the tourist site. And you'll be doing the same thing there while you're taking in all these great sites. And we'll break for lunch. And then in the afternoon we'll have some organized evangelism, some street preaching, some ensembles, some puppet shows, all this kind of stuff just going everywhere. The city is going to be absolutely packed. Um, you know, President Reagan's going to be there on the 4th for the unveiling of the Statue of Liberty. She's been all covered up and refurbishing. place is going to, you're not going to be able to put another person on that island. 8.5 million daytime population. They'll probably soar to of 12 million when we're there. And then in the evenings, we'll run these huge night rallies, evangelistic night rallies in Central Park. It's going to be a great, great week. Third week now, we're going to stay right by the Manhattan Bible Church. We'll be staying in their church, and we'll be ministering to the projects that are right in the, in the neighborhood there. Now, these projects are typically state-built things, and they go up about 8, 9, 10, 15, 12 stories, and they are just literally cubicles, and they stick more people in there than can fit. It's like, how many people can we get in a phone booth, right? Well, how many, you know, the city officials are saying, how many people can we get in a project? You know, and they're just, and they're just loaded. Well, they're all around there. And and not very many of them are coming to Tom's church, and all of them need to. So we're going to evangelize there the the third and the fourth week. If you're interested in that, you need to, uh, on the way out, there should be an information sheet. It's called New York Gospel Outreach, and I'd invite you to think about that. Why should you go on that? Beyond the fact that you're going to see New York City like you've never seen it before, which is easy for me to say because most of you have never been there before, but you're going to come back with a totally different perspective and you're going to change the school. You'll have a tremendous impact on our very, very perspective of the school. If we could get 50 of you to go to New York City for a month this summer, the school will be radically different come fall. Radically different. So I'd encourage you to go. Where are we going? Where are we going with our chapels this semester? We're running out of time here. A lot of things are coming down. Let me point out a few. Do you see where it says missions there on Wednesday, February 5th, Bob Provost, and it starts a series of missions chapels? You know, we do a lot of missions conferences in the Christian community, and all too often the missions conference is nothing more, and I've been involved in these. Where, you know, you come in and sit down and then they parade a bunch of missionaries past you and the missionaries get all their slideshows up and they tell you all about what they did and you kind of listen for the first one because he's interesting. But by the third one, you're kind of falling asleep because you can only take so much of that stuff. Well, we we, we don't want to do that. So we thought of something maybe a little different. We'll see if it works. We'll start some messages in our chapel on missions. Bob Provost, then Alex Montoya, who's a pastor in one of these local churches down in Los Angeles. Tremendously successful church. They've already given birth to five new churches down there. Working great. And then Billy Kim from Korea. A tremendous treat to have this man in our midst. Leading evangelical spokesman for evangel, well for the evangelical movement in Korea. These men are going to come and fire us up on the whole thought of sharing our faith, of evangelism, of what God can do. And then do you see on February 14th, where it has my name, I won't be speaking, but it says, Introduction of the Missions Conference Trips. To date, we have three trips that you're going to see or be introduced to at that time. One trip is down to Alex Montoya's church. Probably 50 of you can go on that. And you'll go for three days. Do you see there in March 5 to 9? March 5 to 9, all classes, everything is canceled. Because that's our missions conference. And rather than having a whole bunch of people come tell us what they did in missions, we're going to cut classes down, no classes, and we're going to go do missions. You got the drift? So 50 of us could go down with Alex Montoya. Mike Kilball is heading that trip up. We'll go down in the inner city and we'll minister to, I think, a brand new baby church that just got started in an area. And we're going to have the privilege of going into that church, staying there overnight those three days in the people's homes, and working the cause of Christ in that neighborhood for those three days. That's one trip. Another trip will be to some of the campuses in our area. Uh, Northridge and USC are on the blackboard right now. We'll have um, a, a great number of you can go on that. 150 of you to 200 could go on that trip. What we're going to do there is you'll come back and sleep here every night, but every single day you'll be on the secular Christian... Uh, secular Christian, good, Russ. These secular campuses, and we're going to train you in stuff like slow-mo football, uh, personal evangelism, all kinds of stuff, and you'll just blitz the campus, these campuses for three straight days. And then it kind of culminates on... Or the kickoff, rather, would be Wednesday. I think we have Roby Duke scheduled, because his, his music would be very catchy to the secular ear, and, and he's very, very good at this outdoor concert stuff. We're going to put him in the middle of the student union deal at CSUN at 12 noon on uh, Wednesday, and you're going to be in the crowd. And he's going to—he's just going to share the faith through his songs and through his word. We'll get some preachers up there. We'll communicate the gospel. Tremendous outreach to these campuses. A third trip, and I think I'm most excited about this one, is through Grace Baptist. Do you know that um, the population is rising here so fast and there are so many new move-ins? And and this church is, is willing, amazingly enough, to let us represent them in the community for three days. And it's, it's very, very well planned. It's going to tie immediately into the larger scope of what they're doing to reach their community. And so those of you who are with Grace Baptist and attend there... You all can be a part of You don't have to, but you can be a part of that ministry to reach out to the community on these days. Very, very well thought out plan. Okay? And then we'll get back, and everybody's going to be excited about what they were doing, right? So March 12 and 14. You see that? We do the missions conference trips on the 5th through the 9th, and then the 12th and the 14th. Those are regularly scheduled chapels, and we'll have missions review. And as you went out on these various trips, they'll all be photographed. And you who have been on them can stand up and, and say what you saw God do and how it's changed you. and It'll kind of be a celebration time. Moving right along, another very, very exciting element is what we call the Master's Men. The Master's Men. Do you see it there? April 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. It goes on to the 7th, the 9th, the 11th. Question. Do you have to go into full-time Christian work to really be used of God? A lot of us are worried about that. These are men who are great, strong Christian men who have been used by God in a very powerful and effective way in their secular workplace. The point to bring them is to let them come and give you a sense of vision for what you can do in your community and in your workplace. An exciting element of that is on the 4th, April the 4th, after Bob speaks, on that day, you who are involved in your various majors and choose to get involved in this, each major will invite one or two people who are in the similar category. They're being used by God in their secular workplace, and they're strong Christians. So there'll probably be 30, 40, 50 guests, people who are working in the community, strong Christians, on our campus that day. They'll come to that chapel. We'll recognize them in chapel. And right after chapel, our schedule change. And by major, you'll meet with these people in the classroom in a Q&A situation where you can probe them and ask them questions about how God is using them and what it takes to be successful. And then the last thing, just quickly, would be uh, the series on Let the Women Be Women and Let the Men Be Men. And we've asked Chris Mueller to come and speak to us three consecutive times on each. Three messages on the role of the women and three messages on the role of the men. After each three messages on the women, for example, then we'll have a split chapel. The guys will be in one place, the gals will be in another. And in front of each chapel, there'll be a panel composed of both men and women. So that, And they will have heard all the messages that have been preached. And so you can get down to the brass tacks. Hey, how does this really work on both times? So as you can see, our our chapel series last semester was kind of for the heart, right? We did the master's morality. We did all that stuff. It was kind of looking at us. This semester, it's a totally different look. We want you to take a consideration of how you can be used by God to share your faith in the missions conference, which doesn't mean we want you to become missionaries. It means we want you to learn the art of personal evangelism and consider becoming a missionary. And then we've got um, the Master's Men series to give you a vision of who you can be upon graduation and what you've got to do now to become that successful person for God's kingdom. And then another thing we've got is your vision as a godly woman or a godly man. So we're very, very excited about that. I'd like to close with just one concern. A lot of people sometimes come to me and say, you know, there's a lot of sin on our campus. And much to their surprise, I say that's not new news to me. And they say, well, let me tell you what I know. And I say, I don't want to hear one name come out of your mouth tell me anything you want about the situation but I do not want to hear the name that kind of shocks them you know and then they go on to tell me all this stuff I'm concerned about it and I know a lot of the students are concerned about it I know a lot of you are very concerned and you look at the situation and you go this cannot be this way how can we let this sin go on and I'm greatly concerned because in 1 Corinthians 12.26, it says, If one of the members suffers, all of the members suffer with it. You see, sin, though we're, though you do it individually, sin affects every single one of us. Because we're all part of the body of Jesus Christ. Probably one of the big highlights of that in the Old Testament was Achan. Remember Achan? They went in to fight at the Battle of Jericho and the, and the edict went out to take absolutely nothing From Jericho, take none of the spoil. And one man out of a 600,000 army took a little bit of the spoil. And the very next battle against Ai, 34 or 36 Israelites were killed. And then God brought the people before him by tribe, and they cast lots. And the 11 tribes made it, but the tribe, I think it's of Judah was pointed out by the lot. And then they went down that tribe by family, by big family group, and they kept having to come before the Lord, and coming before the Lord, and the lots were cast, and they kept narrowing out, no, it's not that family, it's not that family, and they kept zeroing in until there was only one person left. And it was Achan. Now, God does not have that design for the New Testament. If that were the design for the New Testament, we'd all stand up and we'd come before the Lord and we'd find out who's involved in the blatant sin, in the alcohol, in the sex, in the drugs, and we'd just work with them. Repentant heart, will work with you. Hard heart, goodbye. Right? That's not the way it is in the New Testament. But you know what the plan is in the New Testament? Personal confrontation. Personal confrontation. So people get upset. There's too much sin at the Master's College. I agree. You want to know the solution? Take personal responsibility. Matthew 18 says, If you find your brother in sin, go confront him. It's not an option. It's not an option. That's why I don't care to hear names. Because I'm not going to have somebody tell me that somebody else is doing wrong and then go do it. And and say you're doing something wrong. Because that's not biblical. What's biblical? If you're aware of the error, if you're aware of the sin, you go confront. If the person is one and they change the pattern of their life, praise God. Why should anybody in the administration ever need to hear about it? If the person does not want to repent, then you bring others who know of the sin or who know of the brother and you confront in the presence of him. And if that doesn't cut it, then eventually the person is revealing a pattern of hard-hearted sinfulness and he needs to be removed from the community. But you know what? That's your job, not mine. That is your job, not Dr. MacArthur's. If you're upset about the sin at the Master's College, do something about it. Confront the brother. Hold him accountable for his holiness. And of course, now we're not talking about ticky-tacky stuff. We're talking about real sin. And it's here. You know what? It's on every Christian campus. It's in every community. Jesus said in the church, there'll be wheat and there'll be tares. I was counseling a person not too long ago who related an incident in her college life. And she had become impregnated and because of the peer pressure decided to get an abortion. She was from a Christian college and she went down to a local abortion place and they began to ask her the normal information what's your name you know some of this stuff and somehow on the survey they said what do you do for a living and she said oh I I don't work I go to school then she said "Uh, what school is it and at this point the girl began to cry because she realized that coming from a Christian college she should never be in this position of course it happens but to be there And she finally was able to stutter out the name of her school. And this was the response of a lady. She says, oh, my dear, my dear young lady, you're not the first from that college. We have a list of 20 to 25 gals from your Christian college that have already had abortions here. If I told you the name of the Christian college, you would be absolutely flabbergasted. Sin is a reality on the Christian campus. I was talking to Dr. MacArthur. He told me he had a homosexual as a roommate at Bob Jones years ago. <laughs> oh, nothing personal. Here's the point, gang. Stricter rules, stricter punishment, etc., 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 is not the answer to resolving the issue of sin on the master's college campus the only way this college will ever be pure or will ever be moving towards purity is when the students in the college take personal possession and responsibility for that purity if you want to be pure, purify yourself the other thing I'd like to say is stop gossiping Stop gossiping. If you know of a sin, in a first-hand situation, it's your responsibility to confront it. Not to tell six other people. The only thing you do with that is confront it. If they do not repent, if they do not change, then you tell someone else. The gossip flies on this campus so fast, it makes my head spin. And it's sin. And what we do typically when we hear of the sin is we get all worked up about it and we tell six or seven or eight people about it and then that's it. See, now that's all I'm going to do with it. When there should have been telling absolutely no one about it and going to the person and saying, you have sinned. What are you going to do about it? I challenge you, man. Because I'll tell you what, we're not going to go where we ought to go unless you as a student body take personal responsibility for the purity of the campus. Let's pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all the great things that you are doing here, for the things that you have done, for the great number who have come to know you for the first time and even to this day are standing strong and growing and dealing with their struggles. Father, we thank You for the other group of students who are really leading the way in the spiritual dimension, who are really taking an aggressive stance in their relationship with You. And God, we're concerned for some of the middle grounders who don't know which way to go. And they think about You and would desire You, but possibly are choosing wrong friends and wrong patterns of life. And then we, well, we pray for that group. We pray that You'd help them make the right decisions. And God, we would think especially this morning of the group of students, however small or however large, who really are evidencing a lifestyle of hardened sin. They're involved in things which are unbiblical, clearly, and things which the school does not stand for. God, our desire for them is not that you would in some way um, hurt them, but that they could be restored they could learn what it means to walk in the good deeds that you've created from before the foundation of the world. And God, for those students in our midst who have the firsthand knowledge of their brother's sin, may they stop their gossiping and may they go and confront. And God, if Repentance is not brought. May they continue on in the process, not to be a tattletale, but to show the true evidence of their love and their friendship. Well, thank you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. I run a little late. If you'll do me a favor and go quickly to class. Thank you.